it's been a pleasure, and I hope it continues to be a pleasure throughout this worship service on Sunday. I've been immensely encouraged. Uh, I've been somewhat following along, a fan of this church, your story, uh, ever since, or even before you became New Creation Fellowship. So I, I, I do want to conclude on this Lord's Day worship, just to let you, you know, our staff at Christ Central SoCal and our elders and some of the key leaders, we have been praying for you. And they are covering this retreat in prayer as well. And it is a marvel to see the grace of God moving this church into independence and maturity. And I want to move into one of your acronyms of grow up, outward compassion, and focus upon that. And of course, prayer undergirds it all. But glory to God. Thanks be to God. I am so immensely, deeply encouraged that there is a beacon of truth and light and hope through the gospel, especially through NCF. So nothing but blessings upon you. Let's turn in our scriptures to one verse this morning. We'll begin here. I want to talk about extraordinary. Well, we're going to begin, sorry, ordinary and extraordinary elements of a missional church. Okay, so let's turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Connected to last night's topic, as we learned from the Psalms, but here is now Apostle Paul, all because of what Jesus has done. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus does with our shame. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Apostle Paul declares that when it comes to the gospel, he is unashamed. He is unashamed. Uh, I went to a small private high school. Uh, it reminds me, I was driven by some folks who are from Long Island, uh, very wealthy, uh, largely Jewish. We took every Jewish holiday off. I was miserable there because my parents forced me to transfer to my freshman year at a public high school, saw me goofing off, never studying. You know, they're Asian parents and say, you've got to be academic. You've got to study harder than this. And they transferred me to a small private high school in Palos Verdes, California. I did not belong there. Class, economics, all of it. And all of a sudden, what I noticed was that in my church, on summers, I was incredibly active and zealous and bold in sharing the gospel when I would go to Mexico or overseas or maybe places in which people didn't know me too well. I was kind of bold. But at my high school... I was incredibly, incredibly quiet, somewhat fearful, and frankly, just ashamed, embarrassed that I was a Christian church going and I wanted to follow Jesus. Now, why would that be? Why would it be that I would be more easily prone to share the gospel with in my mind, obviously poor people. It's going to be very blunt. That's just how I perceived it. 
economically, socially, or educate just poor. They're needy folks out there. Why am I more vocal to share the gospel there, but with wealthy, educated, Jewish, white, privileged, bright future folks, I became silent. Here's why. Here's why. I think it's really simple. If the gospel was not that good to me, I just couldn't figure out, figure out how it would be that good for others. If the gospel is not extraordinarily sweet and good to me, I don't know how to connect why that would be good for people who I perceive have everything in the world to begin with. You see, Apostle Paul talks about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because he understood what Jesus has to save you from. Do you grasp and understand what Jesus came to save you from? From? No matter how healthy you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how happy you are, no matter how much you have in the account, how much you've got set up in security for your future. My friends, do you understand that Jesus came to die because he had to save us from an eternal death and a judgment before holy God? And as long as I couldn't grasp what Jesus had to save me from, I would look at my high school friends who were of the elite and I couldn't see what they had to be saved from. These are six ordinary and extraordinary elements for a missional church. By missional, I will simply define it as your church is always on a mission. You don't have to just go overseas to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The non-believing diversity of the entire world has come here, especially New York. And if you don't know it by now, New Creation Fellowship will only grow. I'm not talking about numerically. I am talking about spiritually in depth. You will only grow up as you go in mission. As you're going, you're growing. As you're growing, you're going. They're both interrelated. Please do not separate the two. Don't think that they're in some sequence. I'm just going to talk about outwardly compassionate growing up. Nobody in this room will fully grow up if you never go on mission. The non-believing world has come right to your street, your school, your work. New York, New York. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers and the messengers are few. So six ordinary and extraordinary elements for your church. They all start with the P. They all start with the P. First, you got to be prompted by the Spirit. Okay? To actively, effectively, and enduringly accomplish your mission. You have to be prompted by the Spirit of God. Just as the sovereign, gracious, powerful Spirit of God called people like you to believe and follow Jesus, that same Spirit calls and prompts you to share about Jesus. That is an absolute natural instinct. You might have been trying to kill it, suppress it, because you never go and share about it. 
But there is no true born again child of God in this room who has been prompted and converted by the Holy Spirit who has never had promptings to go share about the one who has saved you. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 13 of the early church, how Christianity blew up and turned the Roman Empire and the early ancient world upside down. Verses 47 through 49 of Acts 13. I'll read it for us. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I do know that this word is absolutely true and it's proven true because this group is nothing like my high school. I don't see many Jews here. I see nothing but Gentiles. It is the word of the Lord, the word of the gospel. Now, how did the word of the Lord, the word of the gospel spread? How did it spread? Yes, preaching. Apostle Peter stood up. Many were converted. The foremost missionary comes along, Apostle Paul. But please do not just simplify and just kind of funnel everything through all, all the evangelism. The word of the gospel came through that preacher, the anointed apostles and ordained folks who studied and spent full time. No, not at all. Not at all. If you read the book of Acts, it came through the absolute mass ordinary means of every individual believer. In the workplace, in the marketplace, at home, in your homes, they spread the word of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit prompted them to. Consider this, the same Holy Spirit who prompted me to repent and turn and believe in Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that brought me in third grade, and then the same Holy Spirit that repeatedly saves me again and again and again and again, till today, it is that Spirit, Him who has the power to persuade other people. It's real simple. I mean, the reason why I've Endless optimism and hope about sharing the gospel to other people is all I have to do is remember, well, if Jesus can persuade and save someone like me, if the Holy Spirit could persuade and pull and turn someone like me, I know for sure he could do it with anybody else. The Holy Spirit prompts you, moves you, urges you to share. Always be on mission. J.I. Packer, in a book entitled Evangelism, the Sovereignty of God, you are not wasting either your time or theirs. You have no reason to be ashamed of your message or half-hearted and apologetic in delivering it. You have every reason to be bold and free and natural and hopeful of success for God can give his truth effectiveness that you and I cannot give it. Don't be so timid. Don't be so ashamed. Who does the persuading? Who does the persuading? The Holy Spirit who persuaded you. On the way here, someone was asking, oh, how'd you meet your wife, Sonny? Right? There's not a nice, nice neat segue. I'm just going to share it. It has nothing to do with the message, but I'm going to try to tie it at the end. <laughs> Worship, praise leader guy. By the way, your team up here is fantastic. When I first started as a college 
intern pastor at CCPC. It was KCPC in Virginia, right after my studies at Princeton. Uh, the, the, the worship leader looked at my desperate, lonely face and says, Hey, Harold, you, you want to be set up with someone? I know someone. <laughs> Fantastic, please. Hey, Harold, what are you looking for? I said, oh, it's real simple. Just two or three criteria. Number one, she, she must be woman. She must be woman. Leaving, breathing like, you know, woman. Number two, uh, she must be open, crazy enough to marry a pastor. To marry a pastor. You know, and then third, in my idolatries, I said, I was just crazy. Like I was a crazy fan of Ashley Judd at that time. Just thought she was a model of beauty. I said, if she kind of looks like Ashley Judd, that, that'll good. That, that works for me too. God's great sense of humor, she does. She really does. But more Cindy Lauper, not Ashley Judd. A good mixture. <laughs> Big cheeks. And so we talked on the phone for about two weeks straight. All-nighters, six or seven hours every night. Those conversations seemed like five minutes every night for two weeks, right? Now we can't talk five minutes now. Anyways, but <laughs> then I decided, Sonny, I'm going to come down and see you for the first time. So I got on an airplane, booked a ticket from Virginia to Orlando, Orlando Airport. My wife, Sonny, lives in Miami, South Beach. See, us Californians, we're not very smart. We don't know geography. Orlando and Miami is pretty far apart. (laughs) So you see, my wife had many outs. She could have called us off at any point. As soon as she heard that I booked the ticket to Orlando, she said, I I should bail out of this one. This one's not too intelligent. (laughs) She drove all the way to Orlando. And she had no picture of me. She didn't know what I looked like. <laughs> she only knew this voice. This charming, winsome, captivating voice. She's godly. She's spiritual. She had no picture of me. She didn't know what I looked like. She had fallen in love with my brain, my speech. I, I, I had her picture from day one. Of course, I'm much less spiritual. <laughs> so I'm coming out of a plane in Orlando. She's waiting the gate and she's somewhat anxious and nervous because her friend who set us up she's thinking you you better hope this is a presentable guy and she saw one asian looking man come out kind of balding older middle-aged i was 29 then a young young buck but she thought oh is that him wasn't him (laughs) second guy young guy back when we had Things called headphones and Walkmans. Baggy pants, look like you want to be a wannabe rapper or pop star. Skinny, walked out, Asian. Oh, is it maybe him? No, wasn't it? And then I came out. <laughs> right? And then I came out. And here's what happened. She was so thoroughly unimpressed. <laughs> so unimpressed. I don't know why you guys think that's not shocking. Why you guys, anyways, because she said, when I saw you, it was a Sunday night. I just got done with my work, full, full work day. And she said, you look like a typical pastor. That's not a compliment. <laughs> you look like a typical pastor. Do you know why I look like a typical pastor? I had dress slacks on with a belt, 
black dress shoes with white socks. And do you know what I wore on top? A retreat t-shirt tucked in. I am going to proudly wear retreat t-shirts though long sleeve that is really good art that's that's beautiful this is one of those just typical youth groupy kind of just not good that's how i first showed up what's the point there is no doubt in my mind it was the spirit of god from that first face-to-face meeting prompted and persuaded and brainwashed and converted my wife to marry me four months later. Four months later. Dude, guys, you always should have hope. You can't start off worse on a first date. But if you have mad game, mad game, the Holy Spirit game, they'll, they'll come around eventually. That's my lame attempt on the first one, prompted. Prompted. I know some of you are only going to remember this story and forget everything else. I might have just been self-destructive here, but the Holy Spirit has powers of persuasion. You and I just do not possess. Do not be unashamed or timid with the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, patience. Patience. To speak well, you have to listen well. To teach well, you got to be a good student. To gain credibility or influence, you must serve. The gospel must come out both in word and deed. And my friends, the more effective, best way to be on mission is in a genuine relationship or friendship. That's, I think, the ideal way, especially in this day and age. I am not discounting all other forms of sharing the gospel. Not at all. Not at all. But in patient form, I believe is the most powerful because it allows the Holy Spirit to persuade. Did you know that on any given Sunday, any given Sunday, as Al Pacino would say, football games are being played, there's a movie. But on any given Sunday, 92% of Los Angelinos do not attend a church. Did you know that? 92% of Los Angeles don't attend a church. By the way, I think it's so silly that churches get competitive or territorial or worry about who goes here, who goes there, because we're basically fighting over, at least in Los Angeles, the 8%. What I pray and hope for for NCF, and this is the same message I gave when Christ Central SoCal launched the second campus, a second service. Do you know why we launched that? And do you know why I believe you guys launched as a new church? Listen close. So that you would be a church for non-believing friends, not yourselves. Did you know that ultimately, God might be most interested in bringing your non-believing friends, not how safe and great your children's program is? Did you know that NCF, its destiny and our mission is that you started it and served your butt off so that you don't get to sit in the front seat, you're going to lose your seat. And you get to stand in the back and host people from the parking lot so that they could hear the gospel. In order to do that well, you got to be patient. 
We're all into immediacy here. Instant gratification. 92% of Los Angeles on any given Sunday don't even go to a church. What is it here in New York? There are so many people actually to choose from. You just got to choose one. Just one. Just one. One. And you have to be patient. Patient. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, giving you any interest right now, again, I assure you, you could not be more prompted than the, what God wants for you. You could not desire this more than what God desires for you. Rosaria Butterfield, in a book entitled Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, she published The Scathing Retreat of Christianity, which I think is incredibly insightful and sobering for us as believers. As the head of the English department at Syracuse, a practicing lesbian, she wrote this critique on Christianity as unintelligent, not real, hypocritical, exclusive, discriminating. One pastor responded to that critique so graciously, so hospitably, that he actually invited her over to talk. And she did. And that first conversation turned into months and months and months of talking, answering questions, eating together, Bible study. That pastor happens to be of the reformed kind. Reformed kind. Heady. Intellectual. Rosaria Butterfield talks about how her conversion was gradual over a whole year. The first moment was almost traumatic, shocking, because she had never been in a Christian's home. We need patience. Patience. Rico Tice, the author of Christianity Explored, which I highly recommend, of All Souls Church. Here's what he has observed. An experienced practitioner. I mean, this is a machine evangelist. Quote, the old models of knocking on a door became popular in part because it didn't require much time. For Americans, as far as I can uh, observe, this is the biggest struggle, is it not? But if you are going to show that you care about relationships, not just responses, and that you are there to listen, not lecture, all that requires time. Time. Maybe one of the most number one practical factors why largely Asian American churches don't go about on a mission and share with non-believers is because you don't have non-believing friends or relationships. I'm going to walk on this very delicately here. I'm not saying that to blame or critique you. No, 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 no. But when you have a genuine friendship or relationship and you care about somebody, evangelism could not be easier. If I am really good friends with someone who does not yet know Jesus Christ, you will be prompted and you will automatically be patient because you care for him. This message, I know already for some of you, eyes rolling, tuned out, you just want to go to sleep. But I assure you, I challenge you, challenge you. Look for ways not just to share the gospel Look for ways in the PTA, the soccer clubs, your alumni clubs, your businesses, your children's schools, anywhere you are at work. When you genuinely engage and form relationships over time with someone who is yet to know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
God will give you patience and he'll prompt you in it. This is crucial. So that's why the best evangelists at our church happen to be new believers, new converts, the ones who stand up and give stories of grace. You know why they're like the best? Because they haven't abandoned all their non-believing friends yet. They're still in touch with their non-believing friends. They're pagan, secular friends. And it is a natural network for Jesus to be shared. Prompted. Patience. Patience takes relationships. Friendships takes time. Third, probe. Probe with good questions. Probe with good questions. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus asked the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? What if the man said, I'm all good. Nothing. Do you think Jesus would have healed him then? We ask questions. We are active listeners. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We ask questions to discern assumptions, beliefs, worldviews, hurts, resistances, and idols. Hey, friend, why does that? Why well, see you? Why are you so troubled and restless over that? Tell me about your family background. What do you want to do? When do you want to retire? Why do you want to retire at that age? <laughs> what makes you most anxious or scared? What do you think happens after we die when funerals and tragedies and sicknesses come into our lives? You don't have to force it. You're just seeking to listen, learn, gauge, and be stirred with compassion. Uh, I think about four or five years ago, to be exact, my family and I traveled to Vancouver. My wife is a professional vacation planner during her full-time work on company time. But she's mindless, restless there. She does it for the school district. Always finds bargains, always finds bargains. I went to Vancouver, and I'm sitting in a hot tub. A man walks in, distinguished, silvery, like feathery hair, like, it's like olive oil coming out of his pores. He looks like a character out of Mad Men. Right? I just know this is a distinguished European wealthy man. Comes into the hot tub. He's all friendly and conversational, as they all tend to be. And he asks what I do. Now, there are times I love being asked, what do you do? But not in a hot tub. <laughs> I sheepishly answered... I'm a pastor, a Christian pastor. <laughs> he looked shocked. He looked shocked. Because I guess I don't look like a pastor, at least to him. And he said, well, I respect that. Young people these days need to learn about values and morality. I said, thank you. But then I did add, my own values and morality is not enough for God. He came back, what do you mean? Well, my own values and morality doesn't measure up to a perfect God and if we do assume God is perfect and his standards are perfection, I, I really fall short. And then I lobbed this loaded question from any Christian. It's like a little grenade throwing into your lap. <laughs> Would you like to know? <laughs> Would you like to know why I'm a Christian, how I became a Christian, let alone a pastor? And he said, sure. That's game on. <laughs> then you just bring out the shotgun. And I shared the gospel in a hot tub. Prompted, 
Don't have to be patient. Powerful and bold because I'll never have to see him again. Easier. (laughs) Just probe. See if there's openings. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Taylor, had been swimming at that time. And from afar, I had been noticing this conversation. It went lengthy and she patiently waited. And after the conversation ended, she comes up and said, Dad, Dad, what were you doing in the hot tub? (laughs) I said, well, I was just talking to that man. He goes, she goes, were you sharing with him the gospel? I said, yes. I said, you're weird, Dad. They're just weird. Prompted, patient, probe, probe. Number four, provide a biblical framework. Provide a biblical framework. A legendary philosopher by the name of Mike Tyson (laughs) said, everyone has a worldview until you get punched in the mouth. (laughs) Everyone has a worldview until you get punched in the mouth. Apostle Paul would punch people in the mouth. He did. I want you to notice a couple things about Apostle Paul. Did you know he never shared the gospel the same way twice? Did you know that he took into account what city he was in, what context he was in, what kind of person he was talking to? Did you know Jesus, according to Oskinus, never shared the gospel the same way twice? Why? Why? Because after you probe and you figure out what their underlying assumptions and beliefs and values and systems are, yes, you do need to accommodate. It's called contextualization. You don't just give a rote, memorized thing off a tract. That's why some of those things are ineffective now because there's no connection to what people are going through and thinking right now in 2018, especially in a city called New York. Paul did not present the gospel to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 without having to first provide a framework or a biblical storyline first. Neither should we. Neither should we. You don't have to jump to sin, salvation, Jesus Christ, exclusivity, deity, you got to just start with common things and unveil and unpack it with some context, a biblical storyline. Again, the mission field is not just overseas. It's come right here to post-Christian, unchurched U.S. of A. Ted Powers, one of the directors of MNA, the Mission to North America, he once shared this with me. Did you know that the USA is the third largest unreached nation in the world? Did you know that? In terms of sheer numbers, USA is the most unreached nation in the world behind India and China. Well, China and India in that order. There are many more missionaries being sent into New York, into Washington, D.C., to L.A., to Seattle, to the U.S. of A. from other countries because they see how lost the U.S. of A. has become. This is a mission field. So you got to provide a framework. Framework. I'll just give you one sample. Framework. The one that Apostle Paul gave to the Athenians. Unchurched, no Bible background, no Old Testament background. How did he go about setting up the storyline? First point, people need God. People need God. We were created by God, not the other way around. Read his sermon. This is what he starts with. People need God. Second, people are accountable to God. Chapter 17, verse 30, Paul says... God commands all people to repent because there's judgment coming. A third point in the storyline. People want to be God instead of God. 
They want to be God instead of God. If you tell someone about sin, you had better be able to unpack and define that. People have no idea what sin is. They just think breaking commands, bad things. Oh, I'm not a criminal. I'm not a mass murderer. I'm not a rapist. How dare you call me a sin? You got to be able to understand, help them. No, but the root, the heart of all sin is when you want to be your own God instead of God. Fourth, but God raised Jesus from the dead to show that Christ alone is God and Savior. By providing a biblical framework or storyline, then the gospel can make sense. There is no better opportunity for NCF folks as a group or individually to engage over talks, conversation, coffee, do a Christianity Explored Bible study class, whatever it takes, but extended patient time to answer questions, to actively listen and learn, and then to be able to provide a biblical storyline. That's fourth. Here's fifth. Then, this is sequential, I think you can present the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what Jesus promised to all of his church and his followers. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Question, my friends. When do you experience the power of the Holy Spirit best? How would you answer that question? When do you experience the power of the Holy Spirit best? When you're overcoming temptation and crucifying sin? Sure. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. The Holy Spirit, when he makes sense and he illuminates the passage of Scripture and it burns like fire, it's real to you? Sure, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, as we're learning through this weekend, prompts and helps you and strengthens you to pray and he prays for you? Yes, these are all manifold blessings and benefits of the power of the Holy Spirit. But according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I'm going to argue this. All those other blessings and ministries are peripheral to the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, why he gave it to the Holy Church. The primary power purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that you be witnesses to all the ends of the earth. There is nothing more empowering than sharing and being a witness of Jesus Christ has risen from death. There is no more activity you can do other than this in which God promises his spirit to give you his very power and boldness and to make you unashamed. Upon listening and learning, you find an avenue into the heart. And a short but potent gospel presentation, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, do you have what you might call an elevator pitch? An elevator pitch. This is practical. We should learn it. An elevator pitch. Listen, if you're unfamiliar with this, you say, I don't talk well. I don't give good pitches well. I, I, I complete, I know that that's not true. You give such good pitches about that K-drama. <laughs> you give incredible pitches about that new restaurant. You give incredible pitches about that new skincare. <clears throat> about stocks or finances or sports. You don't think you could learn a short, potent pitch in an elevator ride about the word of the gospel through which the Holy Spirit will empower you? We sang it. My favorite is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
That theme is substitution. Substitution. If you think substitution might be the most potent, clearest, effective way to share the gospel, go there. You can't go wrong. That's my favorite. Jesus took my place. I get what he deserves. Jesus took what I deserve. Substitute. Substitute. Substitute means I don't do the work. He did all the work. He who knew no sin became sin. He took my place. I am a sinner and I took his place and I become the righteousness of God in him. There you go. That's substitution. If you're talking to someone who is conservative, religious, under a guilty conscience, fearful person, a tentative, guilty, fearful person, all right, how would you share the gospel with that person? Well, we do have everything to fear at God's holy verdict based upon my own record and performance, but nothing to fear, nothing to fear if it is based upon the record and performance of Jesus Christ. To a guilt-ridden, fearful person, says, yeah, you're right. You have everything to fear if God measures you based on you. But you have nothing to fear if God would measure you eternal life or death depending upon the record and performance of someone else. How about works-based folks? High achievers, high accomplishers. How about those folks? That's me. That's how I'm wired. And that's why sometimes even in the church, I got mixed, confused messages all the time. It always sounded like to be a combination to me. But here's the pure gospel. For works-based, high-achieving folks, you cannot tell them, do this more, do that, and then God will bless you and save you. As soon as you even give a percentage of that, you've ruined the gospel. Because the only way they're going to register and hear that is, oh, Jesus did that 99%, but the 1% I still got to do. That is not the gospel. It's either... For a high achiever endure, you better do it all or all of it's done. 100%, one way or the other. If you come in between, we call that other kinds of heresies and cults, semi-Pelagian and Catholic and all kinds of things. Confucian too. But we got to make this real crystal clear. Are you accepted and approved and forgiven by God based upon what you do or didn't do or based upon what Jesus did and he didn't do? It's one or the other. And the gospel sets people free. How about freedom? People are into freedom, individual freedom, fulfillment, happiness. I'm going to go my own way. The most popular creed now is I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to do what I feel. I want to just be me, me, me. I'm naturally me. How do you present the gospel to those who are into freedom? Well, Jesus says, unless you're a slave of Christ, you're a slave to something else. You're a slave to sin. And the way you should talk to those who are all about freedom is this. The worst slave master out there is actually yourself. True freedom comes from falling under a master who would love you and set you free. True freedom is coming under the right laws, real laws. You being a law to yourself, being your own slave master, self-destruction, death, ruin, despair. How about those who long for beauty? Beauty. This is huge in LA. Beauty. You just want to be around beautiful people. You yourself want to be beautiful. You want to feel beautiful. We're attracted to beautiful art. Longing for beauty. How would you present the gospel to those who maybe idolize and value beauty? My daughters, when they were young, used to look at our wedding photographs, both of them, Taylor and Elizabeth, and they would say, I could hear them. One day I just heard them blatantly right in front of me. Mommy is so pretty. I can't believe how beautiful mommy is. 
But I don't know why she married daddy. Ha 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 ha. They would just cackle, laugh. I'm like right there. So I took one of those opportunities as a pastor to seize their attention and just go off, go off with the gospel. Say, hey, 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 Taylor Elizabeth. I want to tell you, you know what you're doing right now? This is like reverse gender discrimination. You got to stop objectifying dad. Mom didn't just fall in love with this physical physique, this body. She fell in love with my mind, my soul, my intellect. Don't just look at the cover. Don't be shallow gal. Mom was attracted to my heart and my character. And then I shared with them the gospel, the beauty, and the beast. (laughs) Hey, Elizabeth, you know that Disney cartoon? Yeah, dad. Yeah, you're the beast. Ha, 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 ha. I said, no, 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 you're missing the whole point. Do you know what makes people beastly and ugly, according to, the mo- according to that movie? Is the inability to love. That's the point. You look at the outside and you're unable to love that which is ugly. But that's why Jesus came down. He lost all his beauty at the cross so we could lose our ugliness. Divine, supreme, perfect beauty came to love the beast in all of us so that we can love and become beautiful like him. So Taylor and Elizabeth, if you can't see the beauty in your dad, who's the beast now? Ha ha! <laughs> who's the beast now? So like stunned and confused, rolled her. I thought, oh, stop it, dad. Number six, last one. Prompted, patient, Probe, provide, present. Number six, pray. Pray. By the way, would you pray for CCSE? Would you pray for my wife and my girls? Can you sense the torment they have to go through? Every letter of Paul is riddled with requests for prayer. He is desperate for prayer, he calls for prayer. The man who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save, constantly asks for prayer. Do you know why? Because he's tempted and prone to be ashamed. Do you know why people pray in the early days, God, make me bold and strong? Do you know why we pray for Chinese believers right now who are being ransacked and interrogated and mistreated and being clamped down by the powers of the state? Do you know why they ask for prayers? Here it is. Do you know they're not naturally stronger or braver than you and me? Or else they wouldn't ask for prayer. The only people who ask for prayer is because they are scared. The only people who pray is because you are intimidated. The only reason you and I pray is because we are ashamed. We pray because we're so weak. We pray because we are not loyal. We pray because we're not real. We pray, we pray because without the supernatural empowerment and spirit and presence of God, this church, no church can exist or accomplish her mission. Nothing like being on a mission, though, to get people to pray. Because it is crazy and impossible to achieve without the move of God. So I leave you with the theme of this retreat. Pray your heart out. Pray your heart out so that you can get his... That's why you should pray hard and earnestly and emotionally 
and enduringly. Do you know why people get all juiced up and they stay in the seat of prayer and almost they're in a discipline of, no, I've got to stay in this prayer and I've, I've really got to warm up and pray my heart out. A lot of us just fall short. You never even get there. You never even get Do you know why you want to pray your whole heart out? Because you're asking for the heart of God to replace it. And results vary. There's nothing more unpredictable and challenging and adventurous than being on a mission for Jesus. Results drastically vary. The results right now vary. There are people sitting in this seat right now who are being transformed and changed. They're going to go out on a mission. And the person right next to them, you don't, you, don't, you don't remember a thing that was just said. In prayer, God's Spirit does all that work. And I think one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism as I close is if I know my own heart and the hearts of our people is a lot of us in this room are so extraordinarily busy and obsessive and distracted about something else. Or you are extraordinarily indifferent and unbelieving. Or you are extraordinarily obsessed with being extraordinary for God that God cannot even break through and use you in ordinary ways. Please don't forget the extraordinary elements. That's all from God. You and I just have to be ordinary. Ordinary. And he does all that work. One church member was constantly told in a sermon like this, you got to go there and share about Jesus. You got to go on a mission. You got to see people get saved. But that church member couldn't because he was so vulnerable and fearful about how other people would react. Am I talking to anybody in this room? Is this microphone working? Is this, is, this for, is this for somebody here today? This one church member, no matter how many times he or she heard, you got to go out there and share about Jesus and bring them to Christ. Well, deep down, he was afraid and ashamed because he needed people's approval. He didn't want to be mocked or rejected or marginalized. Well, one day he confessed this to his pastor. Pastor, I know I'm supposed to witness for Jesus. I know we're supposed to be outwardly compassionate, but I'm scared. I just can't. I just don't think I can get around to doing that. Do you know what the pastor told him? It's okay. That's all right. Jesus still loves you. Jesus still absolutely loves you. The man replied, what do you mean Jesus still loves me? Well, the gospel is that God utterly approves of you and accepts you and delights over you in spite of anything you have or haven't done, all based upon the record of Jesus. So, as a matter of fact, if you never get around to sharing about Jesus, don't forget, Jesus still loves you. See, that day that man finally got the gospel. The gospel became good to him. He finally understood that his approval and standing before God was not based on anything he did or didn't do. A week later, somebody else in the church came to the pastor and asked him, what did you say to that guy? He's going around everywhere talking about Jesus. What did you tell him? And the pastor said, I told him he doesn't have to. 
I told him he doesn't have to. But we get to. We get to. Please, NCF, break the mold, please. Be a church for your friends, your non-believing friends, more than yourselves. Please pray your heart out so you would have the heart of God. Please go beyond what most churches tend to become. Because there, the absolute power, the prompting, the patience, the presence, and the love and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with you both now and forevermore.